0: Well, good morning and welcome to Journey again. Uh, My name is Randy. If I haven't met you, it's great to have you with us today. And if you're online, um, welcome to our time together. You know, we are seeing that there are folks who are joining us online that have never been to our building. And uh, so we're excited about that. Hopefully, you'll feel free at some point to come out and worship with us. And I was just thinking the other day, you know, we all need a date to uh, put on our calendar. So if you are thinking and praying about getting out, uh, back to services. I would encourage you to think about Easter or before. Uh, Let that be your deadline, but we would love to have you come, and it's so good to see everybody who is here this morning. Uh, Like Tony said, we're going to begin a new series today called Walk the Line, and we'll jump into that a few moments ago, uh, in a few few moments, and we'll talk about what that really means. But uh, for that, I was going to share with you a story I was reading, or an article about the Great Wall of China. Now, you know, we all know the importance of foundations, right? Well, the Great Wall of China is an amazing story. It's one of the seven wonders of the world. It's about 13,000 miles long. It is one of the few features of the earth that you can actually see from space. 20 feet wide, 25 feet tall. Took over 2,000 years to build in the process of that. And when it was first started in 200 B.C., before Christ was born... That wall was begun, but really it was nothing more, a little more than a mound of dirt and rocks, and really wasn't very solid, just kind of uh, existed there. But then as the time went on, they began using bricks and mortar, and those sections that were built even 2,000 years or so ago still remain standing. And the lesson of what it took to build that wall really is about foundations. It it tells us that before we begin to build anything, anything that will last, uh, whether it be a great wall, a simple building whether it be a relationship, whatever it might be, uh, including our life for Christ, it is the foundation that's the key to the durability of the structure, and it certainly is the foundation that will determine how long that building or that entity is going to stand and can it stand the test of time. So, what is the foundation that we ought to be building our lives on? Obviously, Christ, but but for each one of us, there is a, a goal in our life, it is building a character. Someone said that character is the set of emotional, intellectual, and moral qualities that define who we are and what set us apart from others. It is something that we build in, over time, and it's who we really are. It's formed by our habits, by our values, our qualities, our behaviors that we cultivate in our life every day. And, and these are just building blocks that come together to form our character. And our character basically is held together by the mortar of integrity, which is, again, defined as an adherence to a code of especially moral values. Integrity is so important. Integrity is what allows you to stay in your ground whenever your principles are challenged. It's the ability not to waver or to fall when you're placed in a compromising situation. Integrity represents the moral strength inside of you that's required to do the right thing, no matter who is watching or who is not watching. And basically, your level of integrity will determine whether you stand or fall, not only how you build your life, but also the daily choices that you make. Now, I think the Great Wall of China reminds us that for something to last uh, many lifetimes, it's going to have to be built on a firm foundation. It's going to have to be built carefully carefully. And built well. And by the way, before we leave the Great Wall of China, let me t- tell you the rest of the story. For 1,500 years or so, the wall protected the people of China from outsiders and invaders. And then one day, one of the employees, one of the gatekeepers actually, came to work drunk, was distracted by a harmless looking shepherd outside the gate. He wanted to see what he wanted. He left the, the, the gate, the gatehouse, and hordes of barbarians rushed into the land and invaded. The, the country of China, the wall could not be broken or was not broken, but one man's lack of integrity allowed a whole country to be overtaken. When we drop our guard on integrity, it lowers the bar, it hurts everybody. And so we're going to be talking about being people of integrity today, but but overall, we're going to be looking at uh, some values that are a part of our church. And we started uh, announced these, or we been talking about these for years, but I'd love for you to remember these. They're really simple, three words, connecting, growing, and sharing. Connecting, growing, and sharing. We said that because we're still a little bit distant from people, it's kind of hard to connect. We're getting better. We're getting closer. Uh, We're reluctant to share because we don't want to invade people's space, not only physically, but other ways as well, unfortunately. But that middle one is where we ought to be working and focusing right now, building our foundation. We ought to be growing so that we can better connect and better share with others. And so earlier this year, we've been looking at some ways to grow. We looked at prayer. We spent several weeks on prayer. We spent a few weeks on Bible reading and study, getting to know the Bible, which are definitely spiritual disciplines. And so now we're going to take a few weeks to look at a few more spiritual disciplines that will help move us on our spiritual journey. And like Tony mentioned, we're calling this series Walk the Line. You know, Things kind of come to you, and you, you try to be cute with things, but, but I was thinking, how do, we, how do we talk about remaining faithful? How do we talk about remaining true to what we said we were going to do, and, and not just walk, talking the talk, but, but walking the walk? And so the other morning on the way to work, that came to me, that line, walk the line. I don't know why. I wasn't on the radio or anything, but, but I thought, you know, what's what we need to be doing is be committed to walking the line. And so today we're going to be looking at the the discipline, the spiritual discipline of maintaining integrity of heart. And I will tell you, in my opinion, a person's integrity is one of, if not the most important things they have in life. It really is. It's something that you, if you're committed, you build on for a lifetime and you can betray in just a few moments. You really can. You know, and, and if you attack my integrity, that I have worked on for years and years to establish, i got to be honest, those are fighting words. I mean, you can say, I think you're ugly, I don't like you, I disagree, any number of things, that's fine, but if you <laughs> attack my integrity, i got to be honest, I can't let that go. I'm not going to let that go, so please don't do that. But, but please guard your own integrity. Please build it and develop it to the point that you are going to protect it at all costs. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 4, let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your eye directly before you. Make level paths for your feet and take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. Walk the line. Walk the line that God has laid out for your life and that you have established the values you've established for yourself. And here's the thing. Whenever we give our life to Christ, we begin this spiritual journey that will take us at one point into the presence of our Lord, but in the process will transform our lives. Our mission as a church is to move people on a simple journey toward Jesus. We know the line, the path has been laid out for us. The journey of all of our lives is a little bit different, but God's called us to walk it. And we begin that, we will experience transformation. And that will include every part of our life, the most internal parts of us. You know, God doesn't just want a part of our life or a few hours of our life. He wants all of us, our heart, mind, and our body. And whenever we commit ourselves to Him, we lay our integrity on the line that we're going to walk the walk and not just like we talk the talk. So today, I want us to be honest, and I want us to really kind of look inside it as only we can do individually. You know, there are some messages that I can't speak into your life, but there are messages that God will and that's my hope this morning, that He will speak to you in the areas that you really need to be spoken to. And I may not even mention those. I may not even mention specifically where God needs to press, but my prior is that as we look at these things, God will challenge you, God will convict you, His Holy Spirit will speak to you in ways that you didn't expect and maybe that you weren't even aware of in your life. So the first thing we're going to be doing, looking at some areas in life that we honestly struggle with. What are areas of our life where integrity is oftentimes compromised? And the reality is that really it comes down to each of us individually because we all have areas in our personal lives that are weak, and we all have weaknesses and areas that we're easily tempted. And what may be a struggle to me may not be a struggle to you at all. When I, if I were to say, this is where I struggle, you would say, well, I think that's ridiculous. You're so immature. That, I, that doesn't bother me at all. And the, the, the reverse may be true as well. But be honest about what you're tempted to compromise on. And the Bible addresses several of those things. In fact, it addresses more than we can possibly talk about today. But I've got three or four that I want to throw out because I think these are common to us. One of the areas the Bible addresses where we can compromise our integrity is our thought life. And I believe this is one area that every one of us struggle with. We may be going through all the right motions on the outside. People may look at us and think, wow, that's just one of the best people that I know. Well, on the inside, our lives are slowly unraveling because we're allowing input from the world to come into our life, and it it begins to erode the foundation of faith and, and our values that we have, and our thoughts can be all wrong. Our thought life is really what conceives our actions and our sin as well. Mark chapter 7, Jesus said, "...for from within, out of man's heart comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality." Theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. So Jesus knew well where the root of our sin is. It's in our heart. It's in our mind. And and again, we maybe grew up with great values and, you know, we go through all the right motions, but internally, if our thought life is being eroded or being corrupted, sooner or later, all that's going to pour out. It's all going to come out of us. Our hearts are basically evil in our natural state. It's the way that God made us. And even when we are Christians, we're oftentimes deceived by sinful thoughts that come flooding into our mind. And here's the thing. We cannot control what comes into our mind. I mean, to some point we can, but every now and then, doesn't just something come into your mind and you're like, where did that come from? You know, how did I, I can't can't even imagine, I even thought that. Why would I think something like that? I think that's where the Bible talks about we have to take our thoughts captive. When that thought comes into our mind, we have to capture it, and then we have to jet it out. we got to get rid of that thought. We can't allow it to remain because if our thoughts that come into our mind because of input of media or the world or just Satan, basically, we fight him internally as well, we have to take our thoughts captive. We have to control our thought life. I love the Scripture in James 1. It says, each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. And then after desire has it conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. I love that verse because it's really an anatomy of how we are attacked and how we might do things that we would never imagine that we would do, that that thought comes into our life and it takes, uh, it gets root and our, it, it plays on our own human nature and then we're dragged away and we begin to justify it. We begin to, to excuse ourselves, but, but what we've done is we've created a seedbed for that, that sin to grow and then it gives birth to the actual sin and then sin gives birth to death is what Jesus said begins in our heart and our mind, and then comes to life in our actions. And you know, when we do something or we say something, we may think, wow, where did that come from? All of a sudden, that just came up from nowhere. But oftentimes, when it's evident, we've already been thinking about that. We've already been planning that. We've already been justifying that. We've already acknowledged that or accepted that in someone else, and now it's out in our lives as well. So our thought life is what leads us to all the other sins that we fall into. Second thing I want to mention is, our, is sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. This is a part, I think this is, someone said this is every man's struggle. I would say that I would agree with that, and probably many, many women struggle as well. I don't, I don't limit that. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, made holy, that you should avoid sexual immorality. That every each of you should have, learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust, like the pagans who do not know God, for God did not call us to be impure, but God has called us to live a holy life. We know that the world around us it is a sexually saturated, consumed world, and it 's hard living in this world because we, we can 't avoid it. I mean even, even if you did your best, it, it would just it just pops up out of nowhere. And so, we have to be so careful that we don't allow ourselves to be uh, become numb to that and to the wrongness of it all around us. Uh, Paul says, don't live in passionate lust like pagans, but, but instead live a holy life. Now, when I use the word sexual morality, obviously, many things come to mind, but it's kind of a general term defining any sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman, which is what God intended for it to be. It includes fornication. You know, I was thinking the other day how some of these words that we have renamed today that that don't seem so bad, you know, premarital sex doesn't seem so bad, but fornication is like a, this is not a good word. I don't know why. I just never liked that word at all, and it's good reason. It's sex between people who are not married. It's wrong. It's a sin. Adultery. Sex outside of marriage, someone who is married outside of marriage, adultery. Homosexuality, sex between two people of the same sex. The, the Bible defines that as the actions of homosexuality. Obviously, there's other uh, extreme, other forms but that are uh, off, the, off the charts. But, but primarily, we think about immorality, we think about those three things. And these are the actual sins. But Jesus said, again, taking it to the next level, Jesus said that if we even lust after someone, then that's equally wrong. And so along with sexual immorality, we would also throw in the thoughts of the mind. We would thoughts in flirting, lusting, pornography, all of those things are wrapped in. Why? Because those things lead us. They are sin alone, but they also lead us to the actions. And so we have to take control of that area. Now, why does God prohibit sexual immorality? And the answer is because it goes against creation. God had a plan. A man and a woman would be married for a lifetime exclusively. And within that would be the beauty of sex. But it goes against his plan in creation, but it also goes uh, against our own protection. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. God said this is wrong. It's against creation, against my plan. But also the results of sexual immorality are always damaging and often destructive to our mind and our body. And it also undermines our testimony and witness. And guys, we know that nobody is exempt from this. Just a few weeks ago, the Christian world was shocked to discover that a well-known Christian apologist and evangelist, missionary, Rabbi Zacharias, who actually died last year, was in reality living a double life, and he was involved in sexual misconduct for many years. And in looking back, his staff admitted that he had very little accountability And the news, unfortunately, has crippled the worldwide ministry that he founded and led. And he did so much good uh, all throughout his life, but all that good is threatened by his failure of integrity in this one area that was hidden, actually, even until after his, his death. How much damage that that has done. Another area where our integrity matters is in our words. And our words, you see, reflect the condition of our heart. Our words is one way that that our heart just floods itself out in what we're thinking and the values that we have. Ephesians 4 says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs. That it may benefit those who listen. You know, our world has become so casual in what we say today, honestly. I mean words that used to be reserved for the locker room or or men, you know, out in the field or wherever, those words are thrown around everywhere even in polite society, where where people would never accept before. I mean, all of us have probably been sitting in a restaurant and overheard a conversation next to us of people, not just men, women as well, just throwing out words that were embarrassing, frankly. You know, I never know what to do in that situation. I'd love to, you know, I'd love to ask them to stop. But, you know, in this world, what do you do? But, But our words have just become so freely thrown out. Television, social media, public society, anything goes, no matter how coarse or inappropriate. And I would include in here the crude language, obviously, inappropriate jokes, so the sexual nature of any nature, inappropriate racial terms, gossip, slander. Those things are such a betrayal of our integrity. And, and I try not to be judgmental, but when I hear that from somebody, it just makes me think, you know, that person must not have very high values or morals because they're exploiting the lowest use of wordage and verbiage and, uh, and, and really don't care what anybody else feels about the inappropriateness of that. Maybe that's judgmental on my part, but, but our words really matter. Give your words and your language to God and let Him make it clean. You know, one of the most amazing stories, and, and I didn't ask him if I could share it, so I won't tell you his name, but I have a friend who, who said that before he gave his life to Christ, his language was just unbelievable, and he didn't even realize that. But people would, would come up to him and say, I don't know if you realize it, but you used the F word like 50 times in that one conversation. And he said he didn't even realize that until he, when he gave his life to Christ, God took all of that away from him. And, and that's not a part of his life anymore. God can do that, but we have to surrender that to him. Words either make, uh, bring glory to God or they bring shame to God. And we can betray our integrity just with the words that we say and how we Deal with people. Another area of integrity in our life is is our priorities of life. Our priorities of life. As believers, you know, we ought to be in a constant process of being transformed by the Word. The Bible says that we should not be uh, not conformed to the world around us, but we should be transformed by the renewing of our faith and not let the world press us into its pattern. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says, We fix our eyes not on what's seen, but what is unseen, for what what is seen is temporary but what is unseen is eternal. We realize that there are a lot of things in life that are begging for our attention. There are a lot of priorities, a lot of things that, that, that we want. The world has created this uh, value system that, that, that we're susceptible to because we're human. And many times our priorities betray what our true uh, purpose for life is. And the whole idea of maintaining our integrity as a Christian is remaining faithful to the calling that we have in Christ, that we don't see ourselves as anything other than a Christian. We are a Christian who does this, and that influences every aspect of our life, in our business dealings, in our personal relationships, and in our you know, interaction with people that we're true to His Word, and we're true to the calling that God's put upon our life. And you know, it's so easy for us to be distracted by this world and everything in it, and I think Uh, This past season, I'll be honest with you, it has been so easy for many people to lose their focus spiritually because there really isn't anything much in our world outside of our church community and outside of our time with God (coughs) that really refocuses us on the things of God and the priorities, and you know, for many people, uh, their faith is almost solely tied to the habit and practice of worship. And that's great. I mean, that's great. That's where we need to focus. But like all of us know, that's been really interrupted by the the crisis and the the virus that we've had. In fact, there was a time, uh, whether we acted right or not, there was a time we didn't have services at all. And and that really has damaged many people's spiritual walk. In fact, I believe it will for a lifetime. I, I know there are people who will not recover spiritually from this time, which is such, to me, the worst tragedy of this. But a lot of people have gone on and resumed a lot of other activities, but they've not returned to church. Talking to the crowd here, but I, but I know that all of us have struggled with that decision. I don't, I don't take it lightly because uh, I understand there are people who need to really be cautious. But let me just say this: that if you're going everywhere else, you're going to stores and restaurants and shopping and work and everywhere else, then you can come to church, unless there's a major concern. About your personal health. And I, and I don't want to say that lightly and flippantly, but I think at some point it does become a, point, a matter of integrity. And I want to challenge you to do that and challenge you to think about that and the priorities of life. Now, you know, there are many other areas obviously we could talk about, but these are just a few that we can betray our integrity as a believer. Now we know where we struggle in life, and maybe we put our finger on that, and perhaps I didn't even mention that, but what's the solution? Well, obviously the solution to our spiritual problem is always going to be a time to recommit ourselves to our Christian walk. But you know what? It's also important to invite other peoples into our world to help us. We were not made to live this life alone. We really weren't. We were called into Christian community. And when you look in the Bible, you're always going to see that Christians are in the context of the church and other believers. And when we're cut off from that, for whatever reason, it's more difficult to live. In fact, I don't really think you can live the Christian life alone. We have to have the Christian community to help us. We all need people in our life that are on the same journey as us, that are walking alongside of us, that, you know, that we feel like we're in good company. We, we need people that have the freedom to speak into our life, that have the right and the permission to confront us, someone that we trust who maybe can gently come along and say, hey, I just want to mention something that you have noticed And we really are open to that. And we also need somebody in our life that can come alongside us and smack us upside the head when we really are off track. We need that. And without that, without people around us, it's so hard to live this life. Journey Church is, in my mind, a place where we can do that lovingly. And, uh, you know, I want to be able to be honest with you. I want to be able to challenge you. And some of this series about discipline, you know, spiritual discipline is going to do that. I hope you receive that well. But I hope you to receive it. But also understand that there are other closer groups. We have journey groups. We have mentoring. We have opportunities for you to be connected in service with other people, to have other people in your life. That's so important. I love the scripture. Galatians six says, "Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ." If anyone thinks he is something, uh, thinks they're something when they're not, they're deceiving themselves. And sometimes we deceive ourselves by thinking, you know what, I don't need other people, I don't need the body, I don't need the fellowship, I don't need the worship. And I think usually that's where we find that we're deceiving ourselves. Now obviously people can help us and we need people in our life, but the greatest help to lean on is the Holy Spirit to help us in these spiritual disciplines. Doesn't that make sense that if these are disciplines of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the best source that we have to do that? Jesus said in Matthew 26, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The Spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. I don't know about you, but I find myself there a lot. My spirit is really willing. I really want to do this, but my my flesh is what drags me down. And so what we have to do is we have to take our thoughts under control, we have to take our actions under control, take them captive, and we have to give the Spirit room in our life. We have to lean on the Holy Spirit, and if we do that, I think we'll be empowered beyond our own ability to live the Christian life, and our integrity will grow stronger and stronger as we mature in Him. And we'll make decisions that will bring glory to God and not shame to God. Let me give you real quick three ways to maintain your integrity and strengthen your character. Three ways to do that. First of all, strive to be the same person in front of the crowd as you are behind the scenes. Try to be the same person in front of people as you are in your private life. You know, when the pressure's on, what's inside will always come out. It really is. I was thinking this morning about toothpaste. You know, how do you get what's inside that tube out? You put the pressure on. When the pressure's on in life, whatever's in there, I know that's goofy, but that just came... Um, that's what comes out. What's in us is going to come out. And it's at such times that our actions are going to reveal who we really are, for good or for bad. You know, our good's going to come out. Our bad's going to come out when the pressure's on. Are you the same person outside of work as you are at work? Do you live differently around different peer groups? Does your environment determine your speech, or is your uh, speech consistent no matter where you are? Do you have a work speech? Do you have a home speech with your family or a church speech, whatever? See, whatever whether you realize it or not, people are watching you. And you can betray your integrity and your trust with people very, very quickly. Family, friends, coworkers, your children are observing whether your words align with your actions. And whatever you're saying or doing, what action what message are you sending to people about your values in life? Is it one that conveys consistency or confusion? Good character is being true to the right principles even whenever there's nobody watching. Being faithful to God in your private life is more important than what public uh, perception of you is all about. But if you are faithful to him inside, what is inside you will come out. God cannot bless you with big things and big blessings and you've proven to be upright in the small things. He's honest and truthful about that. So be the same person no matter where you are. Secondly, be careful not to conform do not conform to people around you. There's always, we're always going to be called as Christians to be above the world around us. Character means doing the right thing regardless of what other people think. It oftentimes means that you stand alone and you act courageously when everybody else is doing something you know is compromising. And sometimes we're tempted to think, you know, the stakes aren't that high. It doesn't matter that much. Not that important. It would be easier to go along and follow the crowd. But in reality you know in your heart that's not right. Maybe you know that something you're being tempted or asked to do doesn't go along with what you believe and what you have said you believe. Or maybe you know that when you're in a crowd and somebody's talking about another person, it would be so easy to be silent or maybe to go along and throw in your two cents, but you don't have the courage to do that. No matter the smallness of the situation, whatever it may be, conforming in those ways is a major blow to the maturity and strength of your character. Be the person by what they, who does what they say and lives a life that can be respected by those around you. Be more than your words. Don't just talk to talk, walk to walk. Be a person of action, a person that people can depend upon, whose reputation speaks for itself. And that's where true character is found. Thirdly, learn to value the process of building your character. This is a hard one, I think, sometimes, because we'd all love to have that sterling character and high level of integrity, but it takes some work to get there. Romans chapter 5 says, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Building character means you rejoice in your suffering. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You know, this verse speaks about character being established through endurance and suffering as well. If you're an athlete, you know that there are no shortcuts to be able to be successful and finish the race. You know, if you're going to win the competition, you have to do the hard work. And character is no different than that. It is built through endurance and experience and experience and proving yourself and success, and make sure that you hold your character high. Make sure that you're a man or a woman of integrity and character, and you never compromise that. And let your word be your bond. Let your word be your bond. I was reading the other day, uh, not in, in preparation, I was reading in the book of Judges. I'm kind of reading through the Bible again this year. I was in the book of Judges chapter 11. And I was reading a story that I've heard many times, but but it kind of reminded me of integrity. It was a story about a man named Jephthah. In fact, he was one of the judges during the period of judging judges of the people of Israel. And he was fighting the Ammonites, and he made a vow before God that if God would give him victory in this battle, he would offer as a sacrifice whatever came out of the door of his house whenever he returned home from the battle. And I, I, I guess he assumed it would be a lamb or a goat or something that would come out. But, but he was victorious in the battle. When he returned home, if you know the story, you know that the first to come out of this house was his only child, his daughter. And he had made this vow before God that he was going to offer this, this sacrifice to God. And when he saw that, as any father, I mean, he was heartbroken. He grieved, but he had fulfilled his vow. Now, I was reading that, and, and, you know, I I know there's different. We don't have time to discuss it. So it's unclear if he actually, because we think about an offering. We think about death, don't we? We think about a sacrifice. And it's not likely that he did that because God has strictly prohibited human sacrifices. But more than likely, what he did is he dedicated his daughter in the service of God. In either way, she was never never able to marry, and she went into the temple to serve, and his lineage ended, Ended. His family ended. He had one child, and and she would never have children. It was a heartbreaking decision. But you know what? Jephthah had made a vow before God, and he kept it, even though it hurt him personally deeply. And I thought, what a story of integrity, where he could have began to hedge that vow and justify, you know, I didn't think I'd be a child, you know. But he was a man of integrity, and we need to be that kind of person as well. And I think integrity is a sign of a Spirit-filled life. It's letting God speak. It's maintaining it. It's something we have to do all of our life. And we have to guard and discipline ourselves to always act, whether in word, whether in deed, action, whatever it may be, with integrity. One more verse of Scripture, Romans chapter 6, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. If you are a Christian, you have been brought from death to life. God has paid a high price for you. And so it is, as a person of integrity, you have to offer yourself to God and give Him yourself and all of your words and actions as an instrument of righteousness.